dog. My dog went flying through the air over the tree. I don't know how it did it. Okay. Damn it, I'm really confused. All I saw was my dog coming over the fence, and Nate was dead when she hit the ground. I didn't see any cars. All I saw was my dog coming over the fence. Uh, we got someone or something crawling around out here. Did you see what it was? Was it a person or an animal or? Jesus Christ, you better. Sir? Yeah. Hello? Get somebody out here. What's going on now, sir? That son of a bitch is about six foot nine, I don't know. Do you see him now, sir? Yes, I'm looking right at him. Uh-oh. Okay, hang on. He's right. Is he in your yard, sir? Yeah, God, he's big. Okay, what's he doing in your yard? He's looking at me. Welcome to the show, everybody. This is Bigfoot in the Citizen Scientist Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and I want to thank you for being here. If you've had an encounter or story you'd like to share with me, email me at sciencemeetsbigfoot at gmail.com. Or if you're listening on anchor.fm, feel free to hit that message button to send me in a voice message. I can play them on future episodes or just listen in. Either way works, just get at me. I have a bonus sneak peek preview for the next scheduled episode release date at the very end of this episode, so make sure to stay tuned to the very end to get that bonus. Today will be a little bit different. I'll be introducing information, opinions, and historic lore on the Vancouver, BC region from profound and not-so-profound Sasquatch researchers. There is a ton of lore and information that a lot of us might not know about this region, and it's worth looking into to see if there is any sort of documentable and or applicable findings or evidence. Everything you are about to listen to is from the YouTube channel Land, Sea, Air, Canada, under the Monster of the Woods section on their page, so I highly recommend going and checking it out. There is so much cool stuff there, and the production is on point. So please be sure to check them out, sit back, and relax to the history and legend of the British Columbian Sasquatch. After boating hours from Wati to the most northern tip of Lac Lamarte, 42-year-old Tony Willia fell over the side of his boat. I managed to swim to an island at the end of a point. All of a sudden, there was a big man standing beside me. He must have walked away because I heard some branches break through out the bushes. Willia would spend another 48 hours alone in the Tlichon wilderness before being rescued. For many in the region, the presence of bushmen, or Nakgan as they're known in the Tlichon language, is a reality that goes back thousands of years. 
and sometimes they, they, they use a really missing medicine power. That's why it's really hard to, you know, hard to find them. Reveska says the Tlichon people and Nakga have lived in the same region since time immemorial. As legend has it, the terrifying human-like creatures have powerful magic. They lure people towards them and steal them, never to be seen again. There's even stories of Nakga stealing moose and caribou carcasses. Rabiska says his grandmother told him a story when he was little, about one of his relatives who was lured to an island by Nakga. So we never seen him, never heard it again. Now some people, they heard, they heard him with a scream, talking, scream, help, something like that, but nobody can do nothing. Nearly a century later, Rabiska would have his own encounter with Nakga while driving toward the Frank Channel Bridge between Ray and Edzo one morning decades ago. Rabiska says he saw a man standing in the middle of the narrow bridge. He says as he drove up, the man jumped over the railing. Rabiska hurried out of his vehicle to look over the side to see if the man was okay, but there was no one there. How do you see him? I don't know what happened to him. Rabiska says he's done his best to pass on stories of not gone to the next generation. He said as development pushes people further into the bush, interactions like his and Willia's will only increase. Hillary Bird, CBC News, Yellowknife. Agassiz, British Columbia, Canada. Nestled in the Fraser Valley and right beside Harrison Hot Springs and Harrison Lake. It's where our story begins. Our search for the elusive creature known as Sasquatch. There is no better place to begin this search than this area. For well over a century, many people have reported seeing and hearing something in these woods. begin on the Harrison Lake on a most perfect day in the company of Gary, a local guide, and his boat, and Al and Sarah. Al, an avid outdoorsman, and Sarah, a student of life. They're going to transit to an area where there was a Sasquatch sighting in 1968, allegedly. Al Patak knows this area very well. He's an avid hiker, explorer, and prospector. Does he believe in the Sasquatch? He's not committing either way, and that's perfect for this story. One must understand the size of Harrison Lake, with nearly 100 miles of shoreline. It's fairly large, yet it's small compared to the rest of British Columbia. Harrison Lake is a popular getaway with many people from around the globe. It's a well-known tourist attraction, the Harrison Hot Springs and Sasquatch Park, aptly named because possibly there's a creature in this forest. 
As we transit the lake, Sarah surveys the shoreline, looking for any signs of this creature. The precise location of this sighting must remain secret because the owners of the property desire their privacy and do not want people in their backyard looking for Bigfoot. I will tell you this, it's on the west side of the lake, just above the waterline, and it's the most spectacular place to encounter Bigfoot, if it actually happened. You see, what you find here is something extremely beautiful and very natural. A waterfall, about 50 feet in height, a perfect place to encounter Bigfoot. We will rejoin Alan Sarah a little bit later. In the meantime, let's meet our next guest. David Jones is a professional musician, and today he's going to join Gary on a boat ride on the Harrison Lake. He has no idea about the Bigfoot, only what he's heard through the television. So, do you have any idea where uh, Sasquatch lives around here? Well, Stepping over here. Apparently, they're quite enormous. Yeah. Well, this one, they, they have footprints, they say, that are uh, across the ball of the foot is eight, eight inches. The heel is five inches across. I think it's 18 inches long. So, and sunk about uh, two inches into the ground. So, actually, in human terms, that would be a size 30 shoe. Yeah. <laughs> Ocean-sized wave. I see. When it's when when it's when it's windy, yeah. it really picks up. up yeah. The lake where they, they get six-eight-foot rollers. Wow. They say by three o'clock you don't want to be out on the lake. By three o'clock in the day. And if you got a small boat. Really? Because uh, especially up the lake, or state of the state of the uh, to the west side of the lake, because it's calmer along. Along that side. Oh, I see. So maybe the ocean does have a lot to do with it then, the, the balance and imbalances of the lake. Uh, well, that's mostly wind because it's like a wind tunnel. Right. It's all, your, all the wind coming up the freezer. There's a channel. Yeah, it channels down through uh, the Harrison plus, like the Harrison River plus through. Uh, and, may, and maybe the mountains have a lot to do with that because oh, yeah. if the wind comes, there's a reflection yeah. of. Yeah, some I of see. it goes up. There's a valley there. That's Sasquatch Park over there. Okay. Maybe with a bit of luck today, we'll be able to uh, to see one of these fellas. Yeah, with a little luck. Or maybe a lot of luck. <laughs> You're gonna be wiping those weeping eyes. Clearly this adventure is not based on stealth, as we listen to that joyous refrain. First Nations people have spoken of this territory for a very long time in their legends. Legends of a creature, or a beast, or an entity that lives right here. I'm uh, capturing it. Not that we want to capture it, but still I would like to expose this creature to mankind. Because for hundreds of years there's been talk of this creature in uh, in the wild, and no one has actually come up with any solid proof or pictures that's believable. Now, hopefully we'll get a chance. This is our quest. This, this is our quest, right? Hopefully we'll get a chance to uh, actually meet with such a 
Cro Magnum man. That would be the era he's still stuck in. But with enormous size, you know, I hear he's capable of great feats. <laughs> yes, great feats, yeah. as it shows. Um, but uh, we're hoping to capture him on film today. And so therefore, we're taking this boat and uh, traveling many miles across the lake to where he's known to have been seen. And with a bit of luck, we'll find some uh, footprints and possibly some sort of sign that he lives here and get to meet with his family. He had a tape recorder. But the driver on. did it. Yeah. He had a, a tape recorder. Yeah. Um, <laughs> On the whole time, yeah. and the drop bus driver said, "Oh, it's just a hoax, and mm -hmm. you know, it's just somebody with a Two costume on." A couple from on. Calgary on the bus said it was a hoax too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They but, were, they went in the press, they went to the press and said, "Hey, look, everyone's saying this is real. We were there. It wasn't real. We yeah, looked at yeah. the guy in a suit." But the bus driver thought he could capitalize on it all, and he was a part-time policeman in Vancouver, and. Mm -hmm. And he was saying, I'm going to sue them, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to well, do that. Pat Lindquist was his name, yeah. Yeah, and then, then what happened was uh, they said, well, hey, we got a tape recorder. We had a tape recorder going the whole time you were on the bus, and mm -hmm. he shot right up after yeah. that. Let's move the story to a more serious tone now. We're in Agassiz and about to head into Harrison Hot Springs to meet John Green, journalist and Sasquatch investigator, interviewed by Chris Green. Hi, this is Chris Green, and we're in Harrison Hot Springs. We're in the house of John Green, who has compiled a statistical survey of over 1,000 reported sightings of the Sasquatch. Firstly, John, can you tell me how long have you been doing this sort of work? 41 years. And what, what motivated you to...? Well, the Sasquatch story starts in this area, and I had bought the weekly newspaper here. I grew up in Vancouver, I was familiar with the Sasquatch, you know, as everybody was, stories in the papers and so on, but of course we all just thought it was a tall tale. And then uh, there's some flurry of excitement around here when the uh, suggestion was made that uh, we have a centennial Sasquatch hunt in 1958. and. Uh, I began to realize that I was hearing serious stories from people who I already knew or knew by reputation. So I started looking into it, and uh, it was quite obvious that there was actual substance to the story. So I, and the following year, this was in 1957 that this went on. In 58, there was a picture in the province of a, a man down in California holding a cast of a footprint. So I went down there to look into that and saw some footprints myself. And, uh, you know, these footprints are real. Something has to make them. And, uh, what do you think that something is? What, what do you think the Sasquatch is? Oh, it's an ape. It's a, a bipedal ape. I mean, you, you see, you, you've got two facts that cannot be in any way challenged. Something makes huge, somewhat human-like footprints. And it should be possible to find out what that something is. 
and also all over the world and throughout history and in very much so at the present time people have been describing seeing these very large hair covered bipedal animals so folks there you have it end of part one that visit with john green is just the beginning there are other people we'll talk to and we'll take a very thorough look ourselves using very modern techniques in the field to ascertain, yes, is there a Bigfoot, and is he out there? Hey, thanks for watching. We'll see you next time on Monster in the Woods. Harrison Hot Springs, British Columbia, Canada. Well known for the healing properties of the hot springs here, and also well known for Bigfoot encounters. In 1978, Hancock House Publishers put out the book Sasquatch, The Apes Among Us, as written by John Green, a local resident and longtime Sasquatch investigator. It is here John feels the legend, the myth, or the reality of Bigfoot started. There are many witnesses out there to this phenomenon, although few will go on camera to tell their story without pictures to back up their testimony, they would be considered, well, crazy. Despite that, there are literally thousands of videos out there on YouTube depicting the creature, supposedly, although few can stand up to scrutiny. That's not to say some of them could be real. In British Columbia, there are many towns, such as Hope, which would like to use the Sasquatch as, let's say, a tourist magnet. It definitely gets people's attention, and they wonder, in British Columbia, do we have this beast in our forest? From Haida Gwaii, to Bella Bella, to Prince George, to Harrison, to Butte Inlet, and many points in between, all across the nation and well into the States, Asia, and Europe, people have reported for a very long time a hairy ape-like creature. In British Columbia, there's an ample food supply for such a creature. And during a particular time of year, that being the fall, there are plenty of spawning salmon. And here, we're on location at Harrison Mills, where such a thing is occurring. And the eagles are having a massive feast. For thousands of years, salmon have returned here to spawn in this most perfect setting bountiful amounts of food for Bigfoot, should he choose to consume this fish, a tasty morsel for humans, and perhaps for Bigfoot as well.
although we do not know if he is carnivorous. In fact, he could be a vegetarian. As absurd as that sounds, no one has found any scat of Sasquatch to date. The vast majority of British Columbians do not get into the deep forest. For those that do, and have seen something, had an encounter, it's very real. For some, it's a means to sell their product, to promote something in a humorous fashion. That doesn't sit well with hardcore investigators, and it doesn't sit well with people who have had an encounter. In the fall of 2011, on a private property that borders the Golden Ears Provincial Park, a couple came out of their house to their backyard to see what appeared to be an ape-like creature standing, looking at them, about 150 feet away. Abruptly, the creature turned and walked into the forest. The couple, startled and confused as to what they had just witnessed, only told their adult daughter several months later about the encounter. These images are from the precise location where the creature was seen. For those people, it changed their lives forever. The wife preferred not to be alone gardening in the backyard. The husband, he won't speculate in what he saw. But three days after this event, these images were taken of a powerful storm and something making a sound. The sound seemed to be coming from the outbuilding on the property, about 125 feet away from the living environment. What it was, we might never know, but it does create a sense of intrigue. In Harrison, the Sasquatch is a very convenient thing to draw mystery to the sleepy little village. For the hardcore investigator, it further encourages research into what is the Bigfoot. Is it real? Next time around, we'll finish up with John Green. And we'd like to take this time to thank you for watching. And we look forward to seeing you next time on Monster of the Woods. Take care of one another, folks. Bye for now. Um, 
Three people, Tom, that you respect as researchers. Tell me the top three people that you respect personally as Bigfoot researchers, investigators. Uh, uh, for old time or the ones that are still alive? The ones that are, well, past or present. Oh, okay. Well, uh, John Green, for one. Rennie DeHinden. And I would have to say uh, Vladimir Mercotic. Reason two of those people are passed away? Uh, two of those people have passed away. Okay, and yeah. one was, was, was an anthropologist at the University of Calgary? Or That's correct. When Calgary. I first got into this in 1979, he kind of took me under his wing. And that's how I really got really got going. So you had a, a fairly close relationship with him. Yes, yes. Uh, they used to say Vladimir did the academic stuff in Alberta and I did the field work. How often did you go out in the field with him, Tom? Oh, not very much. Vladimir was uh, it was in his 80s when I first met the man, so he didn't get out anymore. As a matter of fact, he was so thrilled when we met to have someone do this stuff for him. Yeah. Vladimir had an interest in, in the subject as a whole. Right. Right? More from an academic side rather than just looking into reports. Well, that brings a lot to the table, doesn't it? Yeah. So yeah. There's, is there enough of that going on now? Is there more of an, is there much more academic approach to it, or is it still kind of... No, it's still basically the vast majority of the, of the academic community, i.e. science, still officially says there is no such thing, as far as they're concerned. Is there anybody currently that would be recognized as, as a, a true scientist that is... Yes, Dr. Yeah. Jeff Meldrum. Okay, where is he from? Uh, he, he's at the University of Idaho. Okay. Okay, in northern Idaho. And here in B.C., I would have to say uh, Dr. John Bindernagel, who right. lives in Courtney, B.C., on Vancouver Island. He's a wildlife biologist. Okay. Yeah. And he's a, a nice fellow, very sincere, and he uh, does serious research. The similarities between the sightings in Idaho, California, Oregon... Washington State and Canada, there is a real familiar line, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the Pacific Northwest, 90% uh, of encounters are very brief, as though uh, the person is being watched by the thing, and when they got too close, and bolted. And, of course, there's the old stories of seeing them cross in front of your car at night and, uh, on the highway. Right. Mm -hmm. is, are, are settings um, becoming more frequent or less? No, I think they're still staying relatively the same. They just don't get in the media like they used to. Okay, so when is the peak time for sightings in British Columbia, say in these parts, and we're in the Fraser Valley, mm -hmm. uh, when's the peak time that the majority of reports come in? Most reports seem to come in late summer, autumn. Late summer, autumn? Mm -hmm. The facts are, Sasquatch sightings are way down. It could be a reluctance to report something so inexplicable are the result of an environmental impact on their very habitat.
Marty Moe. Yeah. How are you? Oh, good, good. Where have you been? Not too bad. Hey, listen, you should have seen the Sasquatch I seen. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it was a male or female, but man, Gene. Yeah, well, I'm a, I'm a trapper, you know, and I, and I had a resort, so I used to trap, trap fur in the wintertime and trap tourists in the summertime, you know. Jesus, I ended up with the, with the, with the Sasquatch, yeah. Yeah, he, he ended up my guide, you know, being a guide. Mighty Mo clearly has a sense of humor, but in 1957, he claimed to have seen the Sasquatch up close and personal. At the time we met him in Terrace, he was just a character we decided to film. In hindsight, we wish he'd got his story on tape. But that's the past. We believe Mighty Mo did see something. What he saw? Perhaps a genuine Bigfoot up on the Skeena River. Let's now head to Vancouver City and meet up with David Jones, who's going to talk to some city folk about the Bigfoot. All right, we're back from Harrison's. Now we're looking for people who has actually seen Sasquatch. So maybe with a bit of luck, we'll get that done tonight. So intense. I've never seen anything like it. I just, was just one like, you saw, or was it just one, like a one. I seen one. I seen one Sasquatch running through the bush. I was like, whoa. Was I'm not daytime? really seeing this. Was this but, daytime or nighttime? Uh, it was like evening towards dinner time. It was very harsh. Vancouver is a diverse city on the Pacific Rim. Many people here are aware of Sasquatch or Bigfoot, at least by story or legend. Some have seen and others believe. Still others find it amusing. Reasonably right. rewarded. It has something to offer. Okay, now do you believe that this is a myth about Sasquatch or is it actually something you believe that exists? Oh yeah, it, it definitely did exist, yes. There's no myth there in a... It's, uh, there's a relativity there to the original man, and not only that, you know, some of the more modern too, you know, our, our views. Uh, so you're saying that Sasquatch is a, some sort of a spin-off uh, from exactly. evolution, so we're the same, yeah, but... Relatively. But so, different. Yeah. Different, yes. <laughs> okay, I can understand that. So, um, uh, yeah, follow it. It is interesting also. Are you, you a very know. spiritual man? Kind of, yes, kind of. I, I um, you know, like the, the tradition, the total view of, you know, religious uh, beliefs. Yeah, an area, the entire area. Well, it's, it seems to me that each religion has its own concept of what religion is. True. And there's, there are several. True, true. Yeah, yeah, there are several, but once again, it you all have these, the one. You have, yes, it all comes to the same it, thing. I wouldn't say it comes, but... They're trying to, you know, they're making the effort arrive at the same conclusion to arrive there. About life. For somehow, I believe we see the value, you know, the oneness, the equality, the, the necessary sort of things. Yes. So, um, uh, hooray, hooray! Let them come together and do things together. All right. It's been a pleasure talking with you. I do like. All right. See you, eh? See you. Again. Okay. You ladies believe in Sasquatch? You know, Bigfoot. Yeti. Yeti? Bigfoot? Yes. Yeah. Now, do you believe this is myth or actual fact? Uh, I think it's a myth. It's a myth. That's my theory. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, we're going around asking people what they believe. Well, we've all seen the photograph, haven't we? The photo, yes. You mean and I mean, very nice photograph, but looks awfully like man in ape suit. Man in ape suit. Yes. Some people say it's, a, it's an overexposed. 
uh, size 35 shoe. Maybe it's a before a wax job. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you see, everyone has a different spin on who That's Sasquatch is. Well, tell us what you think. Here's your five I seconds of I think it's Sasquatch fame. is Arnold Schwarzenegger with the wax job. For real or just a myth? No, it's just a myth, I think. I don't really believe in it. Hundreds, hundreds of people have said they've seen Bigfoot. They've got pictures. No, and you still don't believe that he exists? No, I think it's all bullshit. I think I've seen that on TV and everything, the, the thing you're talking about. And, so no. actually, what, what you think is it's a man in a gorilla suit? Yeah, that's right. And there's uh, no such thing as Bigfoot? No, no such thing. And you, what do you think about it? Well, personally, I believe many things are possible. But I'm still the kind of guy, prove it to me. Yeah. So I guess you're a lot like me. Yeah? Okay. <laughs> All right. That's nice. nice talking okay, with you. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Keep on writing. Yeah. Well, we have reached the conclusion of this episode, and we thank you for watching. We also apologize for not airing the John Green interview. That full interview will be seen in a few weeks. In the meantime, when you're out in the forest, when you're out there navigating through the bush, have your cameras at ready, because you never know whether you'll be the one to capture a full-on picture or video of the Bigfoot in real life. Until then, thanks for watching, and we'll see you next time on Monster of the Woods. Take care. Vancouver Island. Sightings of the Bigfoot are not confined to the mainland. They happen here as well. And what is most interesting is many happen after dark. And perhaps that would suggest that Bigfoot is a nocturnal creature, but maybe not. You see, the population of the island is growing. Another interesting location for night encounters is that of the lower Fraser Valley, although we suspect many of these to be hoaxes, perpetuated by people that have nothing better to do. Speaking of nocturnal, let's join Chris Green in the beautiful downtown Vancouver core at night. It's Chris Green here, and we're in the lovely city of Vancouver once again, and tonight we're going to ask people, do you or don't you believe in the Sasquatch? Sasquatch in the house, everybody! Okay. This is the perfect place to ask people where they believe it. They live in a city. You know? I, I, my uh, inclination is that most people in the city do not believe in Sasquatch because, well, they're not around, uh, you know, 
the wilds and around in the woods where you're going to see these things. Now you know how Sasquatch, or Bigfoot if you like to call them, leaves these massive footprints everywhere, right? Okay. What about handprints? How come nobody's ever found a handprint of a Sasquatch? And what would the hell would happen if they were at Planet Hollywood? How big would the Sasquatch hands be? Think they'd be bigger than the little Whoopi Goldberg here? How about Mr. Bruce Willis? I think Mr. Sasquatch would be a lot bigger than Bruce and his wife. Yeah. You know, it's pretty hard to convince people in a city that some sort of half ape-like wild man creature is running around out there in the woods. I mean, can you blame them? I mean, what the heck do you see in the city that's so weird besides other people? You know? What wildlife do you see in a city? Not very much, thank you very much. So why would anyone in a city believe that there's gonna be some sort of wild man beast-like thing called the Sasquatch living out there in the woods of this beautiful province? Despite his best efforts, Chris Green was unable to find anyone willing to talk on camera about the Bigfoot. That could have been because of his demeanor or perhaps the fact He's from Toronto. Burns Bog, 1948, Delta, British Columbia. It is here two men claim to have seen Bigfoot up close while hunting. They would not go on camera as a result of their status in their community. Surprise, surprise. The good folks of Harrison Hot Springs are known to put on a shindig at the community hall, celebrating someone's life or such a thing, and they often have someone dressed up as Bigfoot. Although there are people in the community that take the Bigfoot very, very seriously. After all, this is Mr. John Green's home, Harrison Hot Springs, British Columbia, Canada. The Squamish River no stranger to Bigfoot encounters as well, with reports coming in for well over a century, and by First Nations people before that. Chris finds himself in Lighthouse Park, where he's heading to a location where there was a Bigfoot sighting in the year 1976. Lighthouse Park is surrounded by some of the most expensive real estate in all of Canada, so it's more than little surprising there was a Bigfoot encounter here. Also in the same year, in the same time period, there was a movie made, starring Canadian icon Chief Dan George and American actor Jan Michael Vincent, that movie being Shadow of the Hawk. Now let's join the lovely and talented Tara Rout as she's looking into Sasquatch by doing some studying and reciting a few passages for us. This approach is suggested for comparing data with that of other potential vocalizers, and it also has allowed determination of results if tape speed were changed. Lastly, extrapolation of average pitch and length estimates the body size is given. Corresponding to human proportions, the results indicate a significantly large size. 
on the night of the 21st of October, 1972, Alan Barry, a journalist presently living in Sacramento, California, participated in the recording of what he and others believed to be one or more Bigfoot. The event took place in the high Sierras of Northern California at about 8,500 feet in late October after the first snowfall, some 2,000 feet higher than the nearest road and about eight miles distant to the nearest established trail. There were previous and subsequent recordings by members of the group at the same location, but the recording of the 21st of October is of an exceptionally high quality and allows direct processing of the vocalizations without first specially filtering the noise. In addition, there is a wide range of vocalization, much of which shows a human-like level of articulation. There are also considerable lengths of what might be termed moans, whines, and growls, grunts, and even some whistles which no primates other than man are known to produce. As the story goes, it's May 1976, and people cruising in a boat look up at the bluff where Chris is standing and see a large, hair-covered creature staring down at them, the sighting a few seconds, the image lasting a lifetime. Chris, as we throw rocks at him, is pondering this and looking around the area. This was a very long time ago, this sighting, and one wonders how in such a place it could happen. So as Chris scales the bluff like a Sherpa, let's rejoin Terra Route and find out some more data as related to Sasquatch in these parts. British Columbia, Canada. The word Sasquatch is an anglicization of a Coast Salish word, Sesquets, from the Stotlo dialect of the Hukamalem language. It was introduced to non-Indians across Canada and in the United States during the 1920s as the name of a huge, hairy, human-looking creature said to live in the coast mountains of British Columbia, where Indians occasionally encountered it. The word was used in a series of newspaper and magazine articles by John W. Burns, who had long been a schoolteacher at the Chehalis Indian Reserve on the Harrison River west of the resort village of Harrison Hot Springs. The Harrison River flows out of Harrison Lake, which lies between high, wild mountain ranges capable of concealing mysteries, and into the Fraser River, just below the town of Agassiz, about 60 miles east of Vancouver. The Sasquatch image was adopted by Harrison Hot Springs as an, as an advertising device, and for a while there were local celebrations called Sasquatch Days. Few Canadians know the wilderness that comprises the larger part of their country. Most regard it as unpredictable, malevolent, and uncontrollable, just like the infamous Canadian climate. Most commonly, Canadians seem to view nature as a force, which is frequently portrayed as a tangible thing or being in the nation's literature, apart from themselves and working upon them. Nature is larger than life. One might say, it is monstrous. It is the exception when Canadians see nature as a part of their reality with which they are in some sort of symbolic relationship. Certainly British cultural tradition, which has been so influential in Canada, seems to dichotomize civilization and savagery. Settlement and wilderness, the controlled and the uncontrollable. The monsters in Canada, then, represent the antithesis of the culture the British sought to foster here. 
The beasts are negative. Civilization is positive. The monsters personify the uncivilized and the underdeveloped in Canada and are an indication of beliefs held by Canadians and foreigners alike that the country is, to an extent, primitive or under-civilized. Two hours has passed since a report of a Bigfoot sighting came in from behind Harrison Lake. On the road that runs the perimeter of the lake, three people in a truck allegedly saw Bigfoot cross in front of them and run up a hill. Victor, along with an independent producer from the United States, are on location to watch the field investigation. The visiting producer with very high expectations. Something moving up there. Shit. Uh, what's up there? Definitely something. I'm in a very vulnerable area. Rocks can be thrown down here. So I'm sticking close to the bank to ensure my physical well-being. If they get too hostile, then I can uh, move. Well, you sure dragged me a long way out here for nothing, eh? For nothing. Didn't you get a beautiful shot to the contrary? You dragged me 2,000 miles and you haven't even got anything to show me. You talk about UFOs and Sasquatches and... You got nothing else for me? This is it? You're looking at it. But someday it will be proven. What kind of evidence do you have now to show me? This is why I'm out here. You drove me out all this way out here. Yeah, sure did, didn't I? Nothing else to tell you, you just can leave me hanging out here. Yep. The story to report, I gotta go back all the way back home, I got nothing to show. Come again. Yeah, well, yeah, I won't be coming again, that's for sure. There's always Harrison Mills. Thus ends another field investigation, looking for evidence of the elusive creature known as Sasquatch. For people like Victor, his conviction remains strong. He is determined to prove the existence of such a beast with help from key allies that seek neither fame nor fortune in their investigation into the unusual and most strange creature known as Bigfoot. To the visiting producer, sir, we really did not know the cameras were running at the time you spoke with Victor. To the rest of you, hey, thanks very much for watching, and we'll see you next time right here on Monster of the Woods.
Coming to you from the Paranormal Warehouse, Destination Mystery paints the story for paranormal content, abnormal adventures, and the fun behind the investigations. Each week, Mike and Melissa will bring a new adventure that includes going to some of the most remote places in the West. They will tell the story behind the investigation and share with you the evidence they discover. This is not your regular paranormal show. These episodes will bring new content from locations that no one would think to investigate or explore. We will not only tell the spooky story, we will go to the location where the spooky story originated. Fasten your seatbelts as we take you on an adventure that will make you question what's normal and what's paranormal. that there was actual substance to the story. And the following year, this was in 1957 that this went on. In 58, there was a picture in the province of a man down in California holding a cast of a footprint. So I went down there to look into that and saw some footprints myself. And, uh, you know, these footprints are real. Something has to make them. What do you think that something is? What, what do you think the Sasquatch is? Of course, an ape. Saying a, a bipedal ape. I mean, you, you see, you, you've got two facts that cannot be in any way challenged. Something makes huge, somewhat human-like footprints. And it should be possible to find out what that something is. And also, all over the world and throughout history, and in very much so at the present time, people have been describing seeing these very large, hair-covered, bipedal animals. And uh, that the, f the fact that there are all these people who tell of this experience also cannot be challenged. These people exist. And that also must have some explanation. Well, you've got, unless you wish to go into supernatural areas, you've got only two possible explanations. Either there is an animal which accounts for all the stories and the footprints, or else there is, this has been a, a human activity throughout the world and throughout history manufacturing evidence that such an animal exists. And the, the test of Occam's razor is that you take the simpler explanation. Right. And the simpler explanation is that there must be such an animal. What, uh, what characteristics, if, if I was out in the woods and I encountered a Sasquatch, what would I expect to see um, based on your findings? Well, presuming you're looking at an adult, it would be much bigger than a human. Uh, if it were in a normal position, or if it were traveling, it would be upright, moving like a human. 
it would be totally covered with hair. And it would be not only much taller than a human, but proportionately wider and proportionately thicker through to a much more extreme extent. Like the average human can wriggle under the bottom rungs on, on, on an old wooden kitchen chair. Mm -hmm. um, a Sasquatch of the same dimensions wouldn't be able to go under the seat of the chair or would hardly would, would be able to. Uh, so you have a thing that uh, is immensely heavier than a human. And, uh, for a big one, a weight of a ton is not at all of a according to the way they build. One of the lesser known things about um, some of the sightings is that it makes noises. There's been certain recordings of screams they've made. And the other thing is the smell. Is, is that common sightings or is that a rare well, exception? The range of noises that have been claimed for this thing is very wide. The most usual one is a high-pitched scream. But we don't have a a single instance of anybody recording the sound and at the same time recording the creature that's making it. So really all, all of the sound evidence is speculative. I mean, I, you, know, you can't claim anything factual that this is the sound a Sasquatch is making. It might be, in some cases probably is, but uh, there's nothing to establish that. As to the smell, the uh, Certainly, that there are many instances in which a strong smell is described, but in the majority of cases, when the witness is close enough so that you would expect a smell, there isn't one. So it would appear that it's a smell that can be emitted on purpose, which this, this material was available about the Sasquatch years ago. Since that time, it has been established that the same is true of gorillas. They secrete a smell. That the, the they're in danger. Yeah, you know, if you read Diane Fossey's mm -hmm. work, the uh, the large male you know, silverback gorillas have what she calls a fear odor that they emit from special glands in the armpits. So I, I would speculate that it's something similar taking place here. That it isn't that the things stink to high heaven all the time, but that under certain conditions they, they can emit this strong smell. Go. If you're out in the woods, if one's out in the woods, what should they expect in an encounter? And what can they do to, um, so that they can provide some sort of information for, for the authorities, for people like yourself who compile this evidence? Well, if they see the creature and it's stays there, or, or if they're lucky enough to observe it when it doesn't know they're there, they should certainly just take note of every specific detail that they can remember or write down, or of course photograph if they have a chance. And quite bluntly, if, if uh, they're hunting and they've got a heavy rifle, they should shoot it, because uh, it's, it's just an animal. Right. There's no case for treating this animal 
differently from other animals. And shooting animals is still a common practice in this society. You make an exception for this one, it's only because of its resemblance to us, which I don't consider a valid reason. And scientifically, this, this is absolutely essential because science will not accept that these things exist until they have a piece of one. They've got every other form of evidence in spades and they won't even look at it. They've got to have a physical piece of it. And uh, until you prove that it exists, well, you know, try halting the real estate industry in Florida in the name of an imaginary animal. And yet there is probably the one case where these things are definitely endangered. The habitat's diminishing. The habitat is, is being paved over, yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can't stop it. I mean, the, th the thing isn't there. What, what about um, native folklore? And uh, what can you tell me about how well, the Sasquatch I, fits in with that? I've never gone into that to any great extent. Mm -hmm. uh, for this reason, that in the Indian culture, as in nearly all cultures, there is no sharp dividing line between the real and the unreal. The, everything is real. And this was also true of the European culture that we've inherited until just the last few hundred years. But now we make an absolute distinction. We put everything either on one side of that line or the other. and. Uh, from my association with it, the, the key element in this whole thing has been which side of that line the Sasquatch falls on. So information you get from a culture where there is no line isn't, isn't very helpful. What's the latest report um, or sighting in Harrison Hot Springs? Um, the one 20 miles up the lake last year. Last year? But, but they're not common around here. No. They're not actually common anywhere. It's just that they cover such a tremendous area that, uh, that they add up to a great many. And what, what, what did they see in this last sighting? What, what? It wasn't a particularly good one in that it wasn't a large thing and it was under very poor lighting conditions. It was a, a bear hunter and he thought he was following a bear into the bush and, and instead of that he he saw this dark, human-shaped and human-sized thing looking at him partly from behind a tree under, under heavy cover. So he thought it must be his hunting partner and tried to talk to him. And when he couldn't get an answer, then he backed out of there onto the road, which he, he, he just started into the bush, the road was only a few feet behind him, and found his partner standing on the road. And so that, you know, this you've got a, uh, all you have is a, a totally dark, uh, human, apparently sized figure at a, which is quite close to it, I think it was 30 or 40 feet, but under poor lighting conditions. But it, you know, it's, it's got to be either a person or, or something, uh, or, or one of these, it's mm -hmm. not anything else. What's the most suddenly report you've uh, re received from in British Columbia? What's the most southerly report in BC of a sighting? Well, I mean, when you get very, very close to the border, 
there's really no border with the sightings. I mean, most suddenly, no. I mean, right down to California. The, the border isn't relevant to the Sasquatch. Wow. Do you think it's a creature that migrates then? No. Uh, no more than in, than in the normal sense of being probably up high in the summertime and lower down in the winter and, and you know, if going wherever there's a, is available food, but not in the sense of walking hundreds of miles to change the climate, no. If, if you that's, that's one of the first things that people assume. And, you know, people have been looking for evidence of migration just isn't there. What are the common? What are the characteristics? You've also been to Russia to um, look at the, the investigation that the, the Russian Academy and uh, the, Mon the Chinese Academy have done. Well, hold on. Now, there's no Russian Academy involved. Well, there was a Soviet Academy of Sciences then. No. 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 Well, they gave it awards. Well, they had they had an expedition years ago. That's true, but mm -hmm. they didn't find anything. But the people who are researching it in Russia are much like ourselves. They're, they have an association with the Darwin Museum in Moscow, and they have a seminar of their own, but there's no official backing in Russia. So they're just as um, stubborn to the idea as Western scientists might be? Pardon? Are they just as, are they as open-minded as Western scientists are to the idea, do you think? No, no these aren't scientists. Uh, Not recognized scientists, then. They're, uh, as I say, they're amateurs like myself. What about the, the so-called Patterson film from 1967, um, where you actually see the creature walking? Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people claim every year that this is a hoax. What, what is your take on that? Because this is one of the most important pieces of evidence. Yeah, the Patterson film is a movie of one of these things walking across a sandbar, yeah. And so, well, some people have claimed that it's something in a costume, someone in a costume, or what? What, what do you say to people who, who say that it's a fake? They don't know what they're talking about. And what? What? What is it about the film and uh, research or whatever that's been done on it that makes you believe that it's a real creature? Well, in the first place, there either are these creatures or there aren't. Okay. Uh, if there are, then this is a movie of one. Uh, but as to studies of the film specifically, uh, it's been studied by experts in, uh, in Russia and in England in, in uh, biomechanics. It's been studied by, in, in the United States now just recently by a man whose specialty is the evolution of bipedal walking, bipedal locomotion. Mm -hmm. It's again just recently been studied by one of the top experts in the enhancement of things like surveillance videos and so on. They've been uh, digitalized to the point where I think there's some dozens of CD-ROMs involved. And uh, this man is no longer doing it and nobody else has the sufficiently sophisticated hardware to, to make any use of it. And None of these people have suggested that it's fake. Uh, this uh, the expert in bipedal locomotion is trying to get a paper published in a proper scientific journal. And uh, the uh, enhancement man has issued a report of his own. Uh, 
the Russian work was done many years ago, back in the 70s, the, the head of an institute studying you know, the mechanical functioning of physical bodies. Uh, I talked to him through an interpreter when I was in Moscow, and he reiterated what he said before, that uh, he had no interest in this subject, he just looked at the thing as a favor and it changed his whole concept of walking, because this thing walks better than a human. Uh, Jeff Meldrum at the University of Idaho, the bipedalism specialist, has done what uh, we always had some misgivings about, because some of these footprints don't have the short toes like the ones we're looking at here. They have long, wide-spreading toes. And, and we, you know, we always were uneasy that some real expert was going to say, well, this is impossible. Uh, if one of these is genuine, the, the other is not, or so on. Instead of which, uh, Jeff, working with both types, worked out a foot design that's quite different from a human foot despite the generally similar shape. It requires you to walk in a different way, uh, not pushing off with the toes, but using the ball of the foot, and not propelling yourself forward, pushing from the foot that's now behind you, but pulling yourself forward with the foot that's ahead of you. So how would someone be able to hoax that? Well, and then after he's worked this out from the cast, uh -huh. and he's, he's traveled all over photographing and studying casts, and those he's studied more than anyone else ever has. And then he describes this way of walking, and you know, I, I probably uh, simplified it to the point where not totally accurate, but uh, he describes this way of walking. You look at the movie, and there the thing is doing it. Um, when a human walks, as your weight passes over the weight-bearing foot, mm -hmm. your leg is locked straight. You take your weight on a, a locked knee. This thing does the exact opposite. The maximum bend of the knee takes place when the weight is directly over the foot. And for that reason, it has to pick up the other foot very high to bring it past the bent knee that's supporting the weight. Uh, and so automatically you get a, the bottom of the foot almost vertical as it's, as it's pacing. It's totally different from the way humans walk. The thing that you learn about footprints in this business, there's no good taking pictures of them at an angle. Taken at an angle, that doesn't work. Got, it's got to be absolutely straight, straight up on. and down. Straight up and down, eh? Before the, before the mind gets the proper... Our brain, at least. Yeah, and the picture's not three-dimensional. Not really. like the strongest evidence for uh, the Sasquatch are the footprints, and you've got two here. Can you tell me a little bit about each of them here? The, the one on the right, the plain brown, is cast that uh, I was myself involved in making that uh, is in Northern California up on a ridge where they were building a road and this print was in very deep dust and on that occasion there were the prints of two 
creatures at least. The time I got there, they could only be sure there were two. The road construction foreman who'd found them, or the contractor actually, uh, said there were three sizes, but we only saw two. But we saw more than 600 footprints. And they'd all been made in a single evening after dark. And during the time when this very dry dust was very hot weather, had been sp sprinkled and moistened on the surface with a, a little bit of rain. And uh, all of those that were in the ruts where traffic moved had been destroyed by the time we saw them. So we're certainly more than a thousand of them originally. Uh, the other one uh, is a copy, actually. The uh, original cast is just a flat gray, mm -hmm. and that's a, a copy that's been painted to make it stand out more. Now, that was in a, uh, a muddy spot on the slough of the Skeena River, quite near Terrace. Uh, footprints were found by some children, and a friend of mine who's now dead uh, who was more involved and more successful in this research than anybody else, and was living in Hazelton at the time and was contacted by someone who knew of him. Went there and made casts of a left foot and a right foot. Uh, there only, uh, were only the two good prints in this one damp spot. Are they... That was in the, in the 1970s, I think 1976. Is it difficult to... I mean, I imagine in some cases there are uh, hoaxes of footprints, people go out to do this, but how difficult is it to hoax uh, a Sasquatch print? Oh, it certainly can be done. It can be done. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've heard of one in, in various specific instances, it's very hard to see how it could have been done. Uh, for instance, the, what I just mentioned, where you have to make a thousand prints exactly. in a... In a in a, a matter that literally is in minutes, and yet they're so big that you'd have to, you'd have to sculpt them. There's no way you could just walk along and make them. Um, another case, there were prints an inch deep in a hard, damp sand on a sandbar, where uh, I personally jumped off a log about two feet high, and to get an imprint that deep, I had to land on the point of one heel. So. Either you've got tremendous weight, or again you've had to, to dig it out. But there's, you know, there's, there are pressure cracks in the material around and so on. There's no sign of, of anything being dug. In that instance, you couldn't get a machine in there. There, there were brush-covered steep uh, banks down to this creek, and downstream there was a big log jam, and and upstream there was a, a canyon with vertical walls and deep water, so, you know, whatever, you know, you could have come in by helicopter, but even that wasn't uh, very practical because there were people living in a construction camp just a few hundred yards away, you know, and, you know, so you, when you start trying to explain all of this as a human manufacturer, it gets so totally convoluted that you come back to Occam's razor. You're, you're building castles in the air when there is a simple explanation. It's not, it's not an easy explanation to accept. In a way, you're dealing with two impossibilities. You start thinking that there is such an animal and it's never been found dead, we don't even have a bone, 
well, you reject that automatically. But we have found uh, yeah. there has been some uh, hair samples reportedly found. Um, yes. Even a, the odd handprint and some feces, which have not been they've been analyzed, but nobody's been able to determine what they are. Yeah. And they're not of a they're not a black bear or, or something we know. So. I'm I'm not confident about feces analysis. Okay. Um, hair, I apparently they've uh, been unable to get enough um, DNA to work with out of hair up to now. I mean, for years we've been expecting something definitive, even if it's just to say no, throw it all out, mm -hmm. and we we don't get any answer. Um, there, there was just one instance with hair, and this wasn't DNA, it was uh, immune reactions that did seem convincing. But the person who did it said, well, this has got to be either human, chimpanzee, or gorilla. Well, you, you could have eliminated all three, or confirmed or eliminated any of the three within minutes with a comparison microscope, but he had ground up all the sample. He was an... Uh, immune reaction expert, not a hair expert, and it didn't occur to him that he needed to keep any. So, uh, now these are brown hairs to begin with, and gorillas and chimpanzees are uniformly black. Uh, it in included guard hairs, and human guard hairs grow endlessly, and they're therefore always cut off. They don't have points. All these guard hairs were pointed. And they were, the hair had been collected one hair at a time by the same man who made that cast, going through the brush in a place where it, footprint evidence indicated one of these things had gone. And this is in Northern California. Well, uh, you know, the, the number of, of brown chimpanzees and gorillas that go through the brush in Northern California is quite minimal. Not too many. <laughs> <laughs> and well, what do you, I mean, if the Sasquatch does exist, do you think it is a separate creature unto itself, or is it perhaps a missing link to our no, ancestors? No, it's a totally separate creature. I mean, the, the, if the, it either exists or it doesn't. Right. You have people speculating that 20%, 40%, 60% of the stories are hoax or mistakes or mass hypnosis or, well, you know, hysteria. It doesn't work that way. Either there is an animal or there isn't. If there isn't an animal, then 100% of the stories are wrong. If there is an animal, then there's no reason to question that the vast majority of them are just the same category as people who say they saw a bear. They did see one. So you've got a great deal of information, even though there's very little information in most sightings. They just saw something run across the road is the common one. But, but, it, but nevertheless, out of these thousands of reports, a great deal of information about what these things do. And, of course, about their, their physical characteristics. What's their typical and reaction that, with people, then? Hmm? Um, well, let me finish okay. what we're dealing with. All of this indicates an, a creature whose adaptions are totally physical. It's solitary, it's enormous, it's tremendously strong, it has a full coat of hair, it swims very well even underwater, 
It can run faster than almost any other animal. It can run down deer. It has never had any pressure to survive on its mental abilities. It lives very much the life of a bear. This is the exact opposite of the story of the evolution of humans. The fact that both species have ended up walking upright is the only reason why we relate them to humans more than we do other creatures. Totally unimportant thing. If I were to be forced to live that way, I think I would go behind the woodshed and blow my hand off. Still, even a Sasquatch investigator has to eat, and Indian earns a bare living here on the grounds of the Vancouver Gun Club. He is a Who's that book by? Uh, it's a it's a bunch of uh, a compilation. Yeah, from the a conference that was happening in Sweden, I think. Mm -hmm. There's people from various places uh, of the Scandinavian countries who recounted how it became Christianized. And uh, in among these things, for some reason, is this little note here that I translated into English, and uh, it has to do with uh, a monk named Rimbert, and he was on his way up to Scandinavia. And he knew that up there was what they called dog-faced men. Was it, right, I heard it, of that, yeah. yeah. They're referred to as encephalus in the Bible and so on. And he said, now, we need to know, are, and this is 826, they need to know, are these beings human or are they animal? Because if they're human, they are subjected to missionary work. And I found that interesting because on that wall... That's quite extraordinary. Yeah, on that wall I have this little uh, paper. I don't know, you know, there's copies on the internet. 
And that is down in the Escamania County in Washington. And there they are sitting in 1984 discussing, uh, are these beings human or animal? Because if they're human, uh, they could be up for homicide if somebody shot one. And if they're animal, well, they would be under endangered species protection. Mm. And I thought, well, this is interesting. It's 1,200 years later, and they're discussing to kill or not to kill. And here they're discussing to save their souls or not. <laughs> you know, so it's like pretty interesting stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's the first mention that uh, I personally so. And then one over here, you wanted to see. And that's his son up there. So they were carved out in the marble pillars in the basement of the church. And, uh, and I never gave it a thought. And last year I just walked down there and I thought, oh, I'll take a picture of the giant fin, you know. And I stood there and stared because what I saw was obviously, my goodness, this is a Sasquatch. It, I didn't add the two after 45 years of knowing about all this. Didn't add it together. And I thought, I never, and I stood there and pet, you can see people have pet me for, for a long time, and, and the fur on his body in between here, you know, and he tried to put clothes on them when they were working with the humans. Interesting. Yeah, and here we are <laughs> in 11.45. And so I guess, and here there are other places. Well, those are in books that I had, I was hoping to get from Mr. Bayanov in Russia. And uh, they have all this research from way back 700 before Christ and in paintings and drawings of different artists and in battles down in France and Nepal and so on. So there you have it, an interview with the former wife of Rennie de Hendon and the mother of his children, shot on location in Hope, BC at the Sasquatch Museum. The museum, of course, is closed now, but it was a great look into a person who was very close to Rene. In part two of this interview, she'll tell us a little more about her relationship with the man and the Sasquatch investigations that finally drove them apart. Hey, thanks very much for watching, and we'll see you next time right back here on Monster of the Woods. Take care. Greetings and salutations. Welcome to Monster of the Woods. In our last episode, we had a great conversation with Rene de Hinden's widow, Up in Hope, British Columbia. This time around, we're back at Harrison Lake with Gary, Sarah, and Al, who are on the trail of a Bigfoot. In fact, the trail is considered a Sasquatch route. Sit back. We'll talk to you a little bit later in the timeline. Enjoy. BC, 
Look at this stuff. Can't be too unappetizing. Well, no trace evidence of the Bigfoot, but plenty of evidence of bear traffic. Fresh bear scat everywhere. Time for them to go back to the lake, and we'll rejoin them in another episode down the road. Thank you, Gary. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Al. Canada, both levels of government, be it federal or provincial, have given many companies the green light to do business here. Be it forestry, mining, or hydroelectric in nature, the industrial impact is evident virtually anywhere you go. Perhaps Bigfoot himself is realizing his habitat is changing. So, with man and machine, and the relentless drive to extract the natural resources from British Columbia, and Canada's record for protection of endangered species to be modest at best, the Bigfoot has challenges. First of all, to recognize they actually exist. 
and if they do exist, perhaps they're thriving. There is an abundance of flora and fauna, plenty of nutrition, plenty to eat. And Bigfoot? He's the greatest mystery of all. I'd like to thank you for watching Monster of the Woods, and we'll see you right back here on this YouTube channel next time around. Until then, Arrivederci! Alf Talbot was a very good friend of ours. He was a logger and ran a small tug-and-barge operation. Along with his wife Helen, they worked the coast of British Columbia for many years. We would often join them in the small community of Matsqui where they had their home, and Helen would serve us her freshly baked butter tarts and very strong coffee. We talked of the early glory days of logging and many other subjects. Sometimes he would throw in the forest gorillas, we thought that was his humor. We didn't realize he was talking about the Sasquatch. In hindsight, we wish would have engaged him more on that subject. The story of Alf and Helen Talbot could be two or three books. You would be hard-pressed to find a more connected, hard-working couple. They were salt of the earth and deeply sincere. Their conviction for work brought them to places like Ramsey Arm. Ramsey Arm, of course, is up the coast above the 50th parallel in British Columbia. It's remote. It's where they began their logging days. The Talbots worked with conviction. They loved to travel, bringing them to remote areas like Butte Inlet as well, well established as a place for Sasquatch sightings and encounters, supposedly. Now, the Talbots could be considered Gipo loggers. Before you think that's a derogatory term, it simply means independent. If you're a longtime viewer, you might ask yourself, why are we telling this story now? Well, as luck would have it, we ran into someone who knew them very well. In fact, one of their closest friends. And he told us precisely what Alf meant by the forest gorillas. We will call Alf's friend J.M. 
Jam's role in Alf's life was repairing much of the hardware, the cat, the trucks, that sort of thing. So they spent many hours together. Alf told him of these creatures that would come during the night after they had logged. So after falling trees, the creatures would raise a ruckus, howling and yelling in the forest line. Of course, it sounds preposterous, but these people will not fabricate a story for entertainment purposes. They're just not that kind of people. It also should be noted, they know the difference between wolves, wolverines, coyotes, that sort of thing. So it was definitely something unusual. Alp said he spotted them a few times. They were shadowy, kind of stayed behind the tree line and whooping and yelling, this sort of thing carried on for many weeks. They never got a real clear view of them. But, if Alp said it, we can guarantee you, it did happen. So, in all the time we have talked to loggers on this coast, few, in fact, next to none, have told us a story about a Sasquatch encounter. And that includes hunters. Now, to be clear, just because we have not spoken with hunters who claim encounters does not mean they're not out there. In fact, if you peruse YouTube, you will find countless stories of hunters having encounters, sightings, and even shooting at the Sasquatch. Whether those stories are true or not is entirely up to your perception and if you believe that person is being truthful. But I digress. JM told us of another location where Alf had encounters with these Sasquatch R, forest gorillas, that being Butte Inlet, a place where we spent plenty of time with our families in the early days hunting and fishing. It is by any measure spectacular. You might want to Google it to take a look-see. It is a place where you could imagine Sasquatch could remain unmolested, undetected for a very long time and maybe even today. We realize what we have told you is vague and second-hand information, but we can state, if Alf said it, you know it's true. He was not a man to create false information or fiction. He was a grounded, deeply profound fellow who had a connection to nature like few do today. And that's all I have for you today. If you enjoyed today's episode, or this podcast in general, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and review us. It helps spread the word of the show, which in turn helps me to be able to produce new and exciting material for you, the listener. Before I let you go, remember, love each other, love yourself, be kind, be safe, and until next time.
My name is Derek Randalls. I'm the co-founder of the Olympic Project. Uh, we started this about three and a half, four years ago with the main focus of having a, a program to where we could do comprehensive camera trap work throughout the Olympic National Forest in hopes of getting crystal clear pictures of Sasquatch. Well, with our public expeditions, what we're really trying to do is make the attendees part of the research, not in a not in a, a way just to make them feel good. We actually want them to be part of the research. We've been out actively recruiting some of the top biologists in the field, trying to get like the perfect team together. And we've come up with the idea to go ahead and host some public expeditions to not, not just take people out in the woods, but show them how we do our, to, how we do our study, how to document evidence. One of the first things we do when a trip begins is to give them a like a documentation packet where they can start keeping field notes immediately and giving them giving them a protocol as far as evidence gathering teaching them uh, everything from facing predators to wilderness survival which is what I teach uh, making them part of the research rather than just showing them a good time.